right. Well, welcome to the Uncovered Dish uh, Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we're your hosts, Gabby Corbett. And James Lee. And uh, to, on today's podcast, the first one back in four years, uh, we'll be looking into the future. Actually, the future might already be here. So on November 30th, 2022, OpenAI launched ChatGPT 3.5, completely free to the public. And GPT, for those of you who don't know, stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, meaning that it generates original content after being pre-trained with all of the data on the internet up until the end of 2021, making it one of the most powerful AI tools available. Chat GPT reached 1 million users in five days. Just for some context, Netflix took 41 months to do that, Twitter took two years, and Facebook 10 months. This one took five days. And at the end of January 2023, they've already reached 100 million users. So in today's episode, ChatGPT, AI tools, what are they exactly? What are the ethical considerations surrounding the uh, integration of these technologies and how might we use these tools uh, in our ministry context in the church? So our guest today is Dr. Kate Ott, the Jerry and Mary Joy Stead Professor of Christian Social Ethics at Garrett Theological Evangelical Seminary and the author of books like Sex, Tech, and Faith Ethics in a Digital Age and Christian Ethics for a Digital Society. Kate, we're so glad that you're with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So, Kate, I'm sure many of our listeners who are in GNJ may know you during your time teaching ethics at Drew uh, from just up until June of last year. Uh, you are an expert when it comes to the intersection of things like faith and technology. So how would you describe uh, ChatGPT in the simplest form? Let's say a five-year-old is asking you, what's ChatGPT? How would you explain it? And also, you're in the world of academia. So how maybe have you seen it affecting the world of church and academia from your experiences? Well, I knew you were going to ask me this question. So I did what I feel like most people are doing with ChatGPT. I asked ChatGPT how it would describe itself if I were a five-year-old. So, so this will help us see <laughs> this will help us see a little bit of like what it's capable of. Right, right. Um so this is what ChatGPT says. Okay, let's imagine you're talking to a five-year-old. ChatGPT is is like a really smart helper who can answer any question you ask. It can tell you about animals, help you with your math homework, and even tell you stories. It's ha it's like having a big encyclopedia inside a computer that you can talk to. Important piece of it, right? You get to talk to the encyclopedia. Right, right. But keep in mind, it's not always right. So it's important to double check with an adult before using the information it gives to you. So I, I mean, it's an amazing answer, right? I think people who I kind of run into in daily conversation and they're like, yeah, I mean, this AI thing, it's not really going to change stuff, is it? I think what they have in their heads is like the smart speaker that they're used to interacting with. 
that literally you have to ask it like six times to get the right formulation of what you're asking to get a usable answer. Right, right. That is not true with chat GPT. It is so much smarter in its language abilities, and that means it's smarter in its interpretive abilities. Mm -hmm. Now, it's been trained with, um, with users, with human users, so they've put in safeguards, things like that last line that says, ChatGPT isn't always correct. Make sure to check with an adult. <laughs> so, so I feel like that's a good, a good basic description of ChatGPT. For people who haven't tried it at all, I do want to just give a quick um, overview. You know, it it's a basic website. You go in, you sign up to participate, and it has a blank search box, similar to Google or any other search engines that you're using, where you can type in your question. It will then give you a response, as you all have already noted, based on all the information it's collected mm -hmm. from the internet. Now, I think when we hear like all the information on the internet, we think it's like, you know, I guess Wikipedia or, you know, Google search. But it includes like any open source article, books, all kinds of things that have been published that are reliable sources. And then it includes all the other stuff from the internet that's probably we wouldn't want an encyclopedia of this sort to have as information. But it's got all of it. I think it's also important to remember, similar to how we think of our smart speakers, it matters how we ask the question or how we give it a prompt. And that's true of human beings, right? If I were to ask you a random question without much context, you're going to interpret it. You're going to give me what you kind of think. What you would do is your context would inform how you would respond to me. And in human interactions, we're aware of that because we're, we're usually looking at the physical form of the context that's mm. responding to us. Mm. That's so good. When so humans good. use chat GPT, I, I do think we default to thinking it's like this objective encyclopedia. It's not. It's shaped by what information it has. It's not unbiased or fully objective. It already has things built into it that are contextual, that are making decisions about how to respond to us. And so that's also an important piece of this. There's a piece of ChatGPT that's also like really specific to certain kinds of knowledge and approaches to language that might not be true for people who are English speakers of other languages or, you know, people who speak other languages than English. Yeah, I think the first time I used ChatGPT, I, uh, I was like, oh, let's play around with this. And it was at night and it was time for me to put the ki my kids to bed. And I was like, huh. Let me ask it to write a bedtime story. And I asked my kids, what characters do you want in this bedtime story? And it, there was Scooby-Doo, Godzilla, and a princess saving the world. And it was the they loved it. And now they don't want daddy telling bedtime stories. They want chat GPT. It's, it's part of our bedtime routine now. Like they come up with different characters. We add some suggestions for the plot. And then they tell us the bedtime story. Now, there's there's sort of a ominous side too, though, right? Like I remember in December reading in the news, like 
how school teachers are seeing saying, "Hey, I don't think you wrote this paper." Mm-hmm. ChatGPT turns out is really good. good. Yeah. <laughs> at writing essays, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Have you have you run across this in your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do think that's the same reaction, though. Your kids are like, "Man, your story's not as good." Yeah. So <laughs> let's go with the yeah, yeah, yeah. let's go with the better story. Um, and you know, it's sourcing from all of these other stories and creative writers that you yourself, as a single human, can't source from. Same goes for the papers that students are using to turn in. I've heard a lot of folks, um, you know, having this conversation and a lot of the commentary folks have given the example of, look, there was a debate over calculators forever. Right. And that people wouldn't know how to do basic math. Well, anyone who's had to get to high school level math, the calculator only helps you so far. And if you don't know how to type in the right thing, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get the right answers back. Now, the The issue I have with the analogy of the calculator, it's not based on a neural network and it's not doing interpretive work and continuing in a deep learning fashion to grow. So it has its limits, but I do think the analogy helps us a little bit to say what we are often most afraid of with technological developments are how they're going to replace what humans do and how humans do it. And chat GPT is probably the closest example we have of those things. Like even, even the best robots and some of the AI built into them are still, it's still very clunky. And it's not like anyone's going to be like, oh, that's definitely replacing humans. (laughs) But this is maybe definitely replacing how people write papers and how people write sermons. And so I think that should push us to ask the next question, which is, what's the purpose of writing a paper? Right. <laughs> How good, you know, like, I, I mean, you already know from some of the classes you've been in with me, that's not my primary mode of what I want people to produce. I want people to pr- produce creative projects where they've critically mashed the information together and repurposed it in a new use. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now you could say, okay, well, Dr. Wright, you give that assignment then, and you're supposed to combine like child, childist theologies with, um, ethical (laughs) deliberations. Take me back to school here. (laughs) I know. Sorry. The story of, um, the feeding the 5,000 and create a storybook. Well, ChatGPT can do that. Right. Yeah. Really well. Probably not going to be as creative or accurate. So what if I gave that assignment and then said, okay, but now in class, you need to bring what ChatGPT produced as the story. You need to identify for your co-learners where you feel like it missed things, Mm -hmm. what you thought it did really well. So this is the piece that in Christian Ethics for a Digital Society, I talk about as digital literacy. We often reduce our our general idea of literacy, but definitely digital literacy to like how something works Mm -hmm. instead of recognizing that it includes how it changes who we are, how we form relationships, how how we think anew and differently about information, how it switches how we do things in the world. So literacy is actually this 
really complex social and cultural interaction that oftentimes has to do with language, but can also have to do with digital tools. And I really think ChatGPT has opened up the conversation to push us to say, what new forms of literacy are we going to need in order to, if we want, if it's really important to us to recognize the difference between something I produced and something ChatGPT produced. Mm. Yeah. So taking an ethical framework or, or helping us to kind of understand all of those really incredible new ways that you're even pushing my brain to kind of think differently about chat B GPT and AI in general, how do we sort of begin to develop a framework for pastors and ministry leaders uh, to be able to use this well in a way that's going to not completely replace, you know, some of the work that we do and also allow for our own interpretation, right? So like, how do you kind of see us building an ethical framework around this in ministry? So I, I'm, I'm big on the fact that I think in general, the way Christians have approached ethics is out of a rules-based framework. Right, um, right. Yeah. You know, and and maybe that has something to do with like it's much easier just to like quote Ten Commandments than to be creative about <laughs> what we need to do in the world. Um, and we, you know, are uncreative in the fact that we just took those from the Jewish tradition as well. But we do also have a couple other guiding principles, you know, like love of neighbor is supposed to be the primary commandment that we're following. But even when you look at something like love of neighbor, it's not a rule. It's, mm -hmm. it's not like don't use chat GPT or you can use chat GPT to find out factual information, but don't read directly from it for your sermon. Like those rule based approaches, I think generally don't work because we are complex moral human beings in community, mm -hmm. but we default to them both in Christian circles generally, but then all especially when it comes to technology, right? We're like, it's too complex. Let's just decide, either use it or don't use it, or use it for this, but not for that. And then it changes, and our rules are pointless mm -hmm. in, you know, the month or year or whatever that it changes. So I really want to push us to think from an adaptive, creative, and relational approach to ethics, which is not to say everyone gets nervous. They're like, oh, that's a slippery slope. It means anything goes. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually think it's more difficult. It means that if we have certain moral values or moral commitments in our community, then we have to pay attention to community and to context as we work out how we're going to live ethically together. So instead of having a bunch of rules, we would have values that guide us. So let's say, you know, the love commandment is a primary value that guides us. Well, how do we put that into context in our communities and ask what that looks like? It's going to look different in different communities because different communities have different needs. So I don't think we can come up with a general rule for like, how can pastors ethically use chat GPT mm -hmm. other than maybe an, a guiding principle that says they should use it in a way that complements the contextual needs of their community. When I when I talk to like clergy and church leaders, a lot of them are still stuck in the conversation of whether to use it or not, whether this is right. good or if this is evil, or, or I don't know if they would use that language per se, but like, 
like when I when I bring it up to some of my folks, right, or some friends, yeah. they'll be like, "Oh, I don't know about that. That sounds weird. That sounds, I don't know how I feel about it." And you know, they jump straight to the negative as you know, kind of the don't do not do, right? Um, so I think a lot of folks are even wrestling in that area. So let's see what Chat GPT should says pastors should do, because you know, I mean, why not ask it if it's smart enough to give us an answer? Did you ask Chat GPT what pastors should do? Yeah. <laughs> so how can ChatGPT help pastors? That was one thing I asked it. Okay. Hear it. Let's hear it. Um, so ChatGPT can definitely assist pastors in many ways. Here are a few examples. Sermon preparation. No, remember, it said sermon preparation. It didn't say write your sermon for you. Mm-hmm. So it is already it can, built though. in. <laughs> so, but just because it can doesn't mean it should. <laughs> right, exactly. It can write a sermon for you, though, by the way. I mean, anyhow. So it's been adapted through user interaction. It doesn't say it's already got ethical values built in. It doesn't say use it to write your sermon. It says sermon preparation. Mm -hmm. And there it says you should use ChatGPT for biblical research, um, provide insights and background information to enhance your sermons. So it also, you know, you got to come up with your own ideas to start with, Mm -hmm. though perhaps you could put in a text and ask it for ideas. It could help with counseling. And you wonder, how? How is, it, how is this AI going to help with counseling? Uh-huh. Well, it could provide biblical guidance. I just want to admit that made me a little nervous because I thought, hmm, I'm not sure all traditions or all people seeking pastoral care are going to best be helped by biblical reference or guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also support individuals seeking pastoral care and counseling to find individuals, but also find additional resources. So it expanded it a little bit there. Mm. It can also help, which I think most pastors are interested in with administrative tasks. Yes. (laughs) Help with scheduling, email management, and basic research. Um, Those are all good things, right? And those are all things that we already have AI to help with. I mean, if you think your calendar system is not AI, it is. You know, if you think the Google search box, when you type in extra commentaries for this passage, that's already AI helping you. This is just doing the interpretation for you. So should you maybe be skeptical or bring a little bit deeper lens of analysis to what it finds for you? Yes. Okay. But then this is this is the ethics built in again. Please note, <laughs> while ChatGPT is trained on a large corpus of text and can provide information and support it is not a substitute for human interaction and pastoral care. <laughs> Pastors are unique individuals with the yeah. training and gifts necessary to provide the spiritual and emotional support that individuals need. <laughs> I mean, that's what ChatGPT told me. Right, right. right. Yeah, I, I love that it always comes with a little caveat at the end, right? A little disclaimer. ChatGPT is pretty good about writing its own disclaimers. Which is important. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Please don't sit in there in a counseling session and type into chat GPT. What do I do with this situation? (laughs) (laughs) At a certain point, you should, you should know. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I do want to say there, um, the ILIF school of theology, which is in Denver, the Mm -hmm. seminary there has an AI Institute. Their current director, um, is working on how to, his name is Philip Butler. Philip Butler is creating this AI called seeker and, it's, you know, it's an application that you can use that you kind of type in. It helps you map your your feelings, what's going on for you. And, and it interacts with language and kind of visual images that 
are specifically related to Black U.S. culture in a way that might hold the context of the user in a different way. Yeah. Or, you know, for me, say as a white user, disrupt my context mm -hmm. and my assumptions in a way that something like ChatGPT is probably reinforcing the kind of latent whiteness and um, newsish reporter speak and language that happens online. Mm -hmm. So that, that's like a, a different example, but it's also to say that, you know, I, I think human beings are really important in terms of relationality, but that doesn't mean that humans don't have good relationships with technology or AI um, in a way that can support them both through their mental health and maybe even through spiritual care. Yeah, inevitable. When I first encountered ChatGPT and was spending a lot of time, <laughs> maybe too many hours into the night, just playing around, it felt like I was talking to a, my white friend. Does that make sense? Like I felt that I was yeah. like, "Huh, this does sound." I mean, I understand where the, sort of the data where it's pulling from, but inevitably, if you know, we live in a country that is majority white, right? I I just thought I it, it pictured. I started picturing a friend of mine that is white. I'm like, oh, it's, it feels like I'm talking to this friend who's very smart too. So I was like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but it's interesting you bring up these other AI tools that is also disrupting that as well. Um, are there any other things to consider as we start thinking about, you know, using these tools in our context? Especially for pastors and in ministry, I think it's extremely important to continue to remember or remind ourselves or learn in the first place. I'm not sure where everyone's starting point is that technology is not just a tool. It shapes us as much as we shape it. So the examples we've given where, you know, like, for example, when it gave me that answer on how chat GPT can help pastors, I also asked it, how would Christians use chat GPT? Well, it has an inherent bias around scripture as sort of primary authoritative response, which is true for most Christians, but it kind of goes to that first in all of its responses. So I was able to give it feedback and say, you know, this isn't true for all Christians or, you know, what does biblical guidance actually mean? How do people interpret that? So, so it's always interactional. Mm. But if we don't pay attention to that piece of it, we're letting the tech shape us and not engaging the way that those changes are affecting us, affecting our relationships, affecting our communities. And so if I could encourage pastors or ministry teams to do anything, it would be to not argue over the you know inherent goodness or evilness or bias or whatever about any of these forms of technology, it would be to ask a different question. Mm. How are people using this? How does it reshape the way we interact with one another? And then you can start to bring the values questions into that and do the ethical work, right? Because I think the other questions are about rules, right? They're about good and bad, yes and no's, that we can't really categorize technology into anymore. But the other way of asking the question is really about moral formation. And if we want to critically engage technologies and, you know, really actually do the work I think pastors are called to, which is formation of communities and changing the world, mm -hmm. we have to ask how. 
questions rather than why or what questions. Yeah. So can you share some examples of uh, chat GPT and other AI tools, how they've been used in ministry or nonprofits in the past and what we can learn from there? So where have they been used before and how can we sort of begin to creatively imagine what we might use them for in the future? So I think, I mean, chat GPT, even in the answers it gave us, I do think people are going to use it for things like, you know, sermon writing. Hopefully they'll give chat GPT some credit when they do that. <laughs> you know, when you, <laughs> when you tell a story in your sermon, when you're like, Hey, so-and-so, you know, I was having this conversation and it sparked this theological insight. It's okay to say Chad GPT sparked a theological insight for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe that helps people in the pews say, oh, okay, I should think about this when I'm using it. Like this should be a creative act. Um, there are all kinds of other forms of artificial intelligence that we've already named, right? Like the ways most of our computer systems work, the the ways in which we create, you know, communications formats in our faith communities. I don't think, well, I wonder where things will expand to after chat GPT. So for example, at the Center for Theological Inquiry, that's, um, I I don't know if it's part of or on Princeton Theological Schools campus, um, they are developing, are you a Princeton grad? (laughs) Okay, great. Glad I've got like all the shout outs today. Drew, Garrett, Princeton, Isla. So they... um, they have a program where they're trying to work with faith communities to increase the inclusion of folks with various kinds of disabilities. And they're doing this by using like a separate space within um, Minecraft. So they've like kind of designed their own space, Minecraft world, where folks from congregations can go in, religious leaders, you know, lay people, families, kids, everybody. So it's a little more inclusive in terms of engagement than I think maybe chat GPT is. It's a really like one-to-one kind of correspondence. Whereas this video game is using AI and machine learning, but you're embodied in kind of a different way and it's relational and interactive. I don't want us to get so caught in like, this is all about information processing and delivery because that's what chat GPT is good at. But there are all kinds of other forms of AI, like the mental health app or this online metaverse kind of space um, that's in Minecraft for folks to use. Before we started this conversation, Kate, like uh, Gabby and I were just chatting and sharing how I'm on the, I'm I'm totally on the bandwagon. I'm like, I'm in it. I'm on ChatGPT all the time. I get so frustrated when it goes down, when it gets overloaded. <laughs> like, um, they just came out with a paid version. I'll probably pay for it. Um, it writes half my emails. Well, yeah, it does. Uh, I, 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 I now I can't imagine a world without it. Now, yeah, and I. I mean, I think this conversation has definitely helped me to think a little bit differently about even my own understanding of it because I think that I have a tendency to jump to not necessarily that it's evil, right? I have lots of AI stuff that I use in general, but what are all of the ways that we could misuse this in a way that's going to do harm, Um, particularly around, you know, 
spiritual care and preaching and proclamation and, you know, what are we going to lose something in having a resource that we could go to and basically just have it tell us not just, you know, here are the Google things that you figured out, but this interpretive end of it, um, are we going to lose our muscles to be able to interpret on our own? I am also a child of the Wikipedia years, right, where anybody could go online and change a Wikipedia article. And I have drilled into my head teachers and professors saying, make sure you check Wikipedia because they're not always right. And anybody could go on and change things. And, you know, we do that in high school computer class, we would change Wikipedia articles. Um, so right, like, <laughs> I will admit, I was one of those people who did it themselves. Right. So I think I had have a little bit more caution in how we use this well uh, without losing some of the stuff that we as individuals get to do. Mm. Mm. I mean, there there's one way to look at it to say, okay, if it helps write things like emails, maybe it gives pastors more time in their like way over scheduled lives to actually do those kinds of more interpretive community-based type of things. I do just real quick though. So Wikipedia... <laughs> is actually a pretty good source of information. Right. As a professor, I just want to dispel this, like, never use that source myth. Yeah. But why? It is because it's community sourced. Right. Mm. So I'm constantly trying to remind people that there's not this huge divide between something that's digital and something that's not. Right. Like, the... The encyclopedias you had that I had, Encyclopedia Britannica, right? With all the volumes in my classroom. <laughs> and Carta. Yes. Who yes, were those written Carta, by? Yeah. 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 Right, right. Who were those written by? How did they tell history? Yeah. Who did they choose mm. to highlight in those? Right? We still have those same problems online. Yeah. But there's, there's at least a little bit more access to right. people disrupting that yeah. than there is in those old systems. So we already talked about the fact that ChatGPT sounds, you know, like a white friend giving you <laughs> smart one, but giving you some right. responses back. What happens if the majority of proclamation is written by ChatGPT in terms of our sermons? Mm. How I've already said there's this bias in what authority it mm -hmm. gives scripture. And I didn't even ask it to interpret scripture. So I don't even know yet, like what its biases are there. Right. But it's going to have those. And so, again, I think if we can use it in a way that's pushing us to critically engage in it rather than as a substitute for the work we should be doing, then it yeah. probably can have some moral good in our faith communities. If we use it as a substitute for our own critical theological engagement, it's not going to be helpful. Regardless, it is going to push the question that I think we've had a really hard time in Christian communities figuring out and doing well historically at, which is, what does it mean to be human? And if we already have a bias that being human means you have some sort of preference, goodness, giftedness, it's really important that we continue to get better at either maybe leaving that whole question behind or yeah. saying, actually, no, we really seriously need to think through that historically and the ways in which we have severely damaged communities and wiped entire communities out. So, right. 
because of Christian colonial movements mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. who who counts as that human ordained by God. Um, yeah. And if AI can do most of the things that we used to say are the primary characteristics that set humans apart, what does that do to our answer of that theological question? Right. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Uh, Kate, do you have any last comments, any burning answers to questions we should have asked and didn't ask? No, I mean, this has been, this has been amazing. And even just like prompting me has, you know, I've, I've started to use chat GPT differently because of this conversation. And so I think that for me is the, like, is the primary ethical takeaway, which is this, our engagement with digital technology because of how smart it's getting uh, should be much more about discernment than information. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Gabs, you think you'll be using ChatGPT now? I might. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to train it to answer my emails. I'm going to be like, you. <laughs> no, but I think you're right, right? Freeing up some space to do some of the deeper work is really important. So, I mean, this conversation has also pushed me to think differently about how we use it well. So, yeah, I like it. All definitely. Right. <laughs> okay, we yeah. have uh, one last question we ask all of our guests. Uh, we are the Uncovered Dish <laughs> Podcast. If you could have one dish... For the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what would that one dish be? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Wow. For the rest of your life. I'm a very, like, different things for different times of day person. (laughs) This is tough. Um, Wish I had this question ahead of time. (laughs) Well, curveball. I'm going to go... Don't hold me to this. It's going to change next week. But this week, I'm going to go with veggie pizza. I feel like I'm vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I feel like that gets all the vegetables. Yes. It gets cheese, (laughs) which I love. And it gets you like a good starch. And you can eat it hot, cold. Like there's multiple. Wait, you guys actually have veggie pizza there? This is my lunch. I mean, I mean, this is yours, Kate, just for you. Just for you. We know. The AI printed it out just now. I knew we had a special connection. <laughs> this is literally my, my lunch. <laughs> so there, there, there you go. Ve- go, veggie pizza. And that's we how we wrap this all up. It's, it's veggie pizza. Veggie pizza. That's what brings that. us all together. A uh, big thank you again to our guest, Dr. Kate Ott. Uh, be sure to check out her latest book, Sex, Tech, and Faith, Ethics in the Digital Age. And you can find her books, more of her writing, more about her on her website, Kate Ott. That's K-A-T-E-O-T-T dot org. Kate Ott dot org. Thank you, Dr. Ott. Oh, I called you Dr. Ott again. I promised not to do that. This is a habit. Kate, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, so glad it's been so great i really enjoyed this thank you all right thank you we'll see you around (laughs) Bye. bye